Now unto God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I was so thrilled to be talking to people at the 9 o'clock service, so concerned with enunciating and trying to speak through a mask that I didn't turn the mic on. But Caroline tells me I've successfully got everything in line now, so yay. <clears throat> Authority, power, control. We often wonder and worry and are challenged by these, by the who and what and why of them, and we may find ourselves seeking clarification and answers, sometimes even in a challenging or snarky or aggressive manner. Are you the person in charge? I want to speak to the person in charge. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? You can't tell me what to do. You have no authority over me. Who died and made you God? I've been a social worker for over 30 years. So I'm pretty used to answering questions about from where or whom the right to gain information or make decisions on behalf of children comes. I get it less now that I'm doing adoptions instead of child protection, but it still happens. On the regular, I get asked things like, why do I have to complete all these forms? Have you ever counted them? Do you know how many of these things there are? It's ridiculous. Do you really have to visit my home? And do you really have to see every room? I think that's too much. You just need to see where the kid sleeps. I have been taking care of this child for seven years with no financial support from anyone. Why do you need to know how much money I make? That's not really your business. It's a good thing I want to adopt. Now we may not immediately associate struggles with authority and power and control with our faith, with our faith traditions, but who makes decisions, how authority is regulated, who decides how the structure will be maintained and kept are often topics for discussion and debate, especially when there are changes to accepted thought or practice or even the environment. If you've lived through a major building project or remodel of a church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Who knew that changing the color of the carpet or the color of the paint on the wall was such a big deal? Who knew? It seems power and control are what the chief priests and elders were concerned with when they approached Jesus and asked, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? In all fairness to the chief priests and the elders, before they ask him these questions, Jesus had been creating quite a stir. He was certainly upsetting and challenging many accepted religious and cultural norms. Our reading for today doesn't give us the backstory. The encounter we read today takes place the day after Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem, the events we remember on Palm Sunday as we enter Holy Week. So just the day before the religious leaders come and question Jesus, 
they saw the people laying their cloaks and palm fronds in the road ahead of Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. They heard the crowds crying out, Hosanna, proclaiming Jesus to be the son of David, the Messiah. Following his entry into Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple, turned over the tables of the money changers and those who sold doves, and ran them out, saying God's house is to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Then he cursed the fig tree, which promptly withered. The day after all this happened, Jesus is back in the temple teaching. So it makes sense that those who feel they represent the religious authority of the day, who feel they have the right given by God, passed down through generations to give and interpret the law, to set the rules by which the community would live, to come and ask, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to behave this way? to say these things, to do the things you've been doing. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus promises to answer their questions if they will answer his. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? Meeting a question with a question is typical rabbinic style. This practice is utilized to invite those who are listening to also engage in exploring possible answers to the questions. But the religious leaders find themselves in a no-win situation. There isn't a good answer to Jesus' question. Any answer they give have consequences that they're not prepared to face. If we say John's baptism was from God, then you know what he's going to say. He's going to say, well, why didn't you listen to him? If we say it was of human origin, then the people will turn against us. There wasn't a politically correct answer. As we might say, there was no way for them to spin it. So finding no answer that would safely preserve their authority and power, the leaders simply tell Jesus they don't know. Jesus tells them, then neither will he tell them the source of his authority. Jesus goes on to tell them a parable, one that's found only in the Gospel of Matthew, generally referred to as the parable of the two sons. A man had two sons. He goes to the first son and asks him to go work in the vineyard. The son tells his father no, but later he changes his mind and goes. The father then goes to his second son and asks him to go work in the vineyard. The second son tells his father he will go, but he doesn't. Jesus asks them, which one did the will of his father? And they answer, the first. Jesus then tells them that tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God ahead of them because the tax collectors and the prostitutes repented when they heard John the Baptist's message, but the religious leaders did not. The first son, and those seen as sinners, like tax collectors and prostitutes, may have initially said no, but they changed their minds. Changing one's mind is probably the best definition for the Greek word for repentance, metanoia, 
to change one's mind, to literally think and behave differently, to no longer be the same. It's relational, transformative, and much more than religious correctness or intellectual assent to dogma, creeds, or practices. The second son and the religious leaders said all the right things, but it was just lip service. Hadn't changed them on the inside. They were talking the talk, but not walking the walk. The religious leaders were concerned with maintaining order, with being in control, with preserving their authority and power, with keeping the system as it was. Now, they probably weren't acting from a cruel or evil or unfeeling place. Perhaps along the way, they lost that the purpose of the rules and the laws and the rituals were to bring them closer and closer to God and to help them amend their lives, to change their minds, their hearts, their lives. The rules and the rituals and the laws were never intended to be more important than relationship with God and with each other, or to be used with harsh authority or judgment over others as a way of deciding who was acceptable to God, who was loved by God, and who was not. As much as some religious leaders, then and now, may try to use authority they think they've been given by God to decide who was loved and welcomed and redeemed by God, the truth is nothing prevents us from changing our mind and welcoming, embracing the love that is always ours in God. As theologian Paul Tillich said, every moment contains the opportunity to receive God's grace. Nothing prevents us from changing our mind and saying yes to God. Not a bad past, not poverty or wealth, not ethnicity or gender or orientation or social standing, political affiliation, age, nothing. We are all invited into new life, into relationship. We are all invited to follow Jesus. In God, we are not defined or excluded by what we have done or by what has been done to us. We are all God's beloved children. As followers of Christ, are we inviting all to come to say yes to God's invitation? Can we live into the truth that despite our differing beliefs and concerns, the thing that we have in common that we all share is that each of us is a beloved and adored child of God? As our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, said, as the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement, we dream and work to foster beloved communities where all people may experience dignity and abundant life and see themselves and others as beloved children of God. Together we are growing as reconcilers, justice makers, and healers in the name of Christ. May we continue to say yes to God's invitation and invite others to join us on the journey. Amen.